Welcome to Lonely Cello. Welcome to the Lonely Cello Podcast. I am Emily Wright, and I am here with... Uh, Eric Schaefer. Hi, Emily. Emily. I believe that would be the illustrious Eric Schaefer. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I'm the boss on this podcast and I say it is so. So that is. Okay, boss. <laughs> that's right. You can call me LFA. <laughs> um, so the first thing I always do is ask, um, how do we know each other? Oh, Emily, we go back a long way. We go back. Uh, I mean, I'm afraid to admit how long ago that was, but um, we, we met at CSUN, right? Yep. Uh, so that was the Los Angeles days. That was like, I would, I'm guessing that's kind of like early 2000, isn't it? Ish. Um, it, it probably, yeah, for us, it was probably either 99. I graduated in the winter of 2000. Um, you probably met me right when I came back from going to England, huh? I think so. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's yeah. probably, that's probably it. It's so funny. I did um, Y2K in Great Britain. Oh, how like, was that? And we were all just like, like expecting it to be like the worst possible thing ever. Um, so the Y2K, of course, obviously it was a big nothing burger, like nothing happened. Right. But um, it's so funny because I'm old. Like I've slept through the last couple of new years for sure, even though, you know, don't, don't worry. I have insomnia many other nights of the year, but like new year, I'm like, nah, I'm too tired. But um, I just think about, I we did new year's in Trafalgar Square in London. And it was just like bananas. So many people. I remember they greased all the light poles because That's, like they oh, expected you to climb people to, yeah. to climb up them. I mean, all I can think about that time is like that was the fruition of Prince's that we're tonight we're gonna party like it's 1999. That's oh, right. That we're like, let's do it. <laughs> that really is it. I felt like I was gonna be disappointing Prince if I didn't do like something mega. And now I've made up for it by being truly geriatric, like since then, basically. <laughs> I'm like, no, uh, it's it's January. I'm cold. I want to sleep. Um, you celebrate things differently now. It's it's quite all right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so so we we know each other because we sat next to each other um in the orchestra at CSUN. Um and I'm just curious, what made you choose the cello? Like, was that the first instrument you chose? Kind of what drew you to this instrument? You know, it's, that's a really interesting story. Um, I actually, and very few people know this, but I did get my twinkle pin in violin when I was like two years old. Um, two. Yeah. So, so small. Um, did, and was it on like a box violin or was it on like an actual, just like the world's smallest violin? You know, I, I have absolutely no recollection of this whatsoever. Um, Two. <laughs> I don't even I don't even know where the pin is. Anyway, my parents just kind of decided that maybe cello is better for him. Um, and so it was, you know, it was definitely a, a musical family um, thing. So, you know, when you're a boisterous kid like that, somebody hands you an instrument, you're like, I don't know what to do with this. I, I, I have no clue. Um, so, you know, that's kind of it's been in and out of my life ever since. Yeah. I still don't have my twinkle pin. Oh, well, you get the honorary twinkle pin, oh, Emily, of course. <laughs> I think it's probably as close to a doctorate as I'll ever get as an honorary twinkle pin. <laughs> Can you do all of the variations? As, as, as... 
<laughs> yeah, pepperoni pizza. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like yeah, stay I, right in the middle of the boat. Hot dog. Um, yeah. oh. I, don't, I don't know where all these come from, but oh well, they're fun. <laughs> Mississippi hot dog. Like whoever thought of that, honestly, I need to have a talk know. with them. It really, the worst. a lot of this stuff needs to be reimagined. I think. <laughs> it does need to be reimagined. <laughs> um, so when did you know that it was um serious like there's right there's a tipping point and I'm sure we've experienced this with our students right where it's sort of like oh wow this is really becoming a thing or oh you know what this person has to make way in their life for the thing that's really going to be what they focus on when did you kind of know that you really want to lean in I'm really glad you asked this question um I hadn't given it much thought honestly until you asked me earlier so I'm really happy to answer it um it was really uh, getting out of high school and going into college. I was one of those clueless seniors that just didn't know where I was going to end up. And, um, you know, I hadn't even taken the SATs test. I was just kind of like, I'm going to go to junior college. Um, sure, mm. because that's easy. Um, but, you know, cello was one of those things that, you know, I did four years in the youth symphony and, um uh, you know, I was making like all state orchestra and coda and it, I, I mean, I never placed very well in any of these things. I, I was never competitive uh, with it whatsoever. Um, it just seemed like that was the only thing that I was doing somewhat okay at. So I just kind of felt I went into the deep end and I just said, okay, we're doing this. And so 18 years old with very limited knowledge of, you know, what I was doing with the instrument. Um, and with music in general, going to a musicianship class, you know, being a somewhat of a, a product of Suzuki a method, uh, I had no musicianship whatsoever. Um, no theory, no sights, you know, singing, no, no any of this the above. So, you know, things like were hitting me like uh, a Mike Tyson punch, you know, like everywhere I was turning, <laughs> it, was, it was wild. Um, so fortunately here I had um, walked into a really really cushy situation with uh, the junior college where there happened to be this guy, Dr. Robert Tuller, um, that was around. Um, he got his doctorate from USC in um, Baroque cello performance and his master's from USC, USC uh, from Dan Lewis in conducting. Oh, cool. Uh, and really kind of a guy, a jack of all trades in the music world. So I was really lucky to be studying with him, all things music. Um, he was very, um, positive and <laughs> like helpful for sure um but yeah that was that was kind of where I just said okay that's this is what we're doing it's funny because I know a lot of folks actually that seems like not uncommon because even for people who get really good at a stringed instrument or actually at any instrument um there seems to be through high school, unless you're really one of those scary people who's like, you're going to Curtis or you're going to Colburn or like one of those like upper tier. They're almost, oh, I, seemed... gave it, I gave it a try. I tried. <laughs> I had no idea what it was like. I went and played for uh, Clive Greensmith at San Francisco Conservatory of Music. And, uh, you know, I didn't even know what people were doing at my age at that level. I mean, I knew that there was tons of people far better than I would ever be, but um, I just, threw myself into it and I somehow I managed to get a lesson with him um I didn't even know who Clive, Clive Greensmith was uh, at that point so oh yeah um, me neither so here I am I show up at the conservatory and he gives me this lesson and at the end of it it was kind of like 
Well, this was a good lesson. Unfortunately, your level of playing is not going to fit very well into what we're doing here at the conservatory. And I was just thinking to myself, well, I kind of knew that. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <like> <laughs> just, it was just how young and dumb I was and, and just kind of trying to figure things out. Um, that was, it was wild. Yeah, I do wish that there was almost though like a holding cell for people because like I've judged a lot of like competitions and I have listened to auditions um, for like youth orchestras and community orchestras. And what I'm always listening for is not, is this person a perfect product? But especially right. because it's a learning experience, I look at what can I tell about the way this person is committed to the instrument and the way they learn, especially if you have the opportunity to teach them a whole lesson to be like, you know what? You, you circle back in a year, you know, and take this more seriously. And maybe that's actually what he was saying to you. You certainly, I think by the end of your, your time with C at CSUN, you would have been totally appropriate, right? Like you had leveled up and just like really gotten like nose to the grindstone. And yeah, I think I mean, that I completely, there was another thing that was going on at the time. I mean, there, we all know Timothy Liu. He was, um, he's a little bit older than I am yeah. and, uh, but he came and uh, he was a guest soloist with the U Symphony playing the first movement of Dvorak cello concerto. Yeah. And I remember the U Symphony was going on tour this year and then there was like a big photo shoot. But instead of going to the photo shoot, I hung out with Tim and we just kind of read duets while everybody was doing that. And um, he's like, you know, you got to get down to L.A. at some point. And I mean, that's kind of was in the back of my mind, like once I got kind of organized at the junior college level that I would, you know, be mm -hmm. amped up and maybe, maybe ready for something down in Los Angeles. And uh, that was a funny story too, about ending up at CSUN is uh, at the time it was, uh, was it Tony Cook that was teaching there, right? I uh, know that was Andrew, Andrew Cook. Tony Cook was over at Mancini. Okay. So that's Anthony Cook. And okay. Andrew, I know there's, there's a lot of guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. A lot of cooking going on in LA. Um, anyway, uh, it was, it was cool because uh, I, I got down to LA, I moved into the studio apartment on um, Reseda Boulevard. I, you probably ended up hanging out there at one point or another. I think um, I might have actually heisted your copy of Great Expectations and never gave it back to you. <laughs> You're like, I've been looking for that my entire life. No, I literally think that I was there and I said, I've never read this. And you were like, why don't you take it and read it? I read like a couple, like stanzas of it and I'm like eh, I'm in college and I'm a flake and literally didn't read any more of it and it moved with me like over the it might even be in my bookshelf right now actually Eric. there is I a book it. that I think you and you and Carrie ended up with of mine that was the history of the San Francisco Symphony um by David Schneider I don't know where that book ever went I I was pretty I left that out to a lot of people but I think that was the last I don't know if you see that book laying around. <laughs> I will, it's, it's certainly not because I would remember that, but I will, I will certainly harass Carrie. And if, if she has it, we will, we will find it and return it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I just hope it's somewhere, you know. It's some, somebody's read it at least. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so like you kind of came down, like Timothy kind of got you excited. I called him yeah, Timothy, so, Tim, you know, Tim Luke. Tim, Timothy, whatever you want to go with. I mean, the, guy, the guy's a cello god. We all know it. Um, his hands and, are um, like built for the cello. Yeah, he just was, uh, his level of intensity was just so high. Um, like, so ultimately, long story short here is I ended up calling Mr. Cook to schedule a lesson and his wife <clears throat> um, 
said, well, Sherry's. he's no longer teaching there. Yeah. And I was kind of confused. So I ended up getting a hold of David Axe. And I was like, well, I don't know why. He's like, well, I'm teaching you now. And I was like, oh, well, this is great. Um, and it turned out to be a wonderful thing. So did you ever get to study with Andrew Cook at all? You know, I think I had one lesson with him um, for my audition kind of mm. uh, to get in there. And so, yeah, I mean, I just remember him talking about the importance of practicing scales in front of the TV or something like that. I he would always do that. He, yeah, because his whole thing was about like mental fortitude. Mm. Um, and yeah, I remember he would try to like make me like have conversations with him while I was doing like galami and scale finger patterns. And this was before I had really internalized actually how important, or rather I knew skills were important because people told me that they were, but I wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting it for myself. I really only started getting scales maybe my last year of college when I was like, oh God, this is actually where I make the change to my technique. This well, is- you did something like most cello players at that time were not even comfortable even thinking about, which is you made a transition to like more of the jazz world. Yeah. And, and many people will say, you know, if you understand jazz, you understand music. And um... <laughs> it also just the it's interesting if you're listening to this, by the way, and you are kind of like struggling to understand classical, you know, harmony theory. So jazz, it's not that it's easier, but it describes all of those things in a completely different way. And for me, it made more sense to my brain. And then when I went back and had to pass the classical harmony classes and things like that, it was like okay, now I understand it. It was just like, um, people like, I mean, jazz is like difficult for a lot of different reasons, but it's, um, it's not some other thing. It is an also thing. And I think classical musicians would like really benefit from just sort of like digging in over there a little bit. Like they are our friends after all. Well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of like, um, to me, there's so many languages inside of this music world, That's right. you know? Um, so it's just pick one that you like and, you know, stick with it. People will understand you eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For the, I think you actually, I think that that's totally right. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're just about to talk about like you in your kind of early professional days, but I, I have to ask, were there any other things that kind of tempted you that you kind of even considered loosely? Because, you know, at the end of high school, even though I was, one of the better cellists from like my kind of small region, it did sort of seem like playing music is like a pretend thing to do, right? It's like, what do you do? You play in an orchestra. Does that even happen? So like for my, for my sake, I I considered writing and I might've considered uh, like paleontology or geology. So like, are there any other things that you were like, maybe this is a thing? Well, now I'm starting to think about those things, but at the time I wasn't at all. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was just, I was deep end, um, uh, all cello all the time. Um, that's just kind of what happened. And there was no other option for me. So am I allowed to ask what some of these other things you're flirting with are now? It's okay. If it's a top secret mission, we can totally, I mean, uh, things that I've become interested in as an adult, I suppose are like botany um chemistry is really interesting um but i like again this would be like uh i have like an eighth grade knowledge of these (laughs) these subjects so you know i can only move up from here so (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly right like wow like that that progress graph is going to look amazing um so that's actually kind of cool so maybe i'll check in with you uh when you've got a uh an honors 11th grade 
uh, understanding of these things and see if it's changed anything. Um, so, so just kind of looking back on all the, like your formative years, like when you were still an active student, because obviously I think you and I would both consider ourselves still students, right? I learned from oh, teaching. Oh, I'm totally an active student. Right. right. I learned from teaching and, and watching teaching and I learned from my students and sometimes watching them dissect a problem actually is helpful for me. But um, I'm just wondering, are there some of like some lessons, ideas, anecdotes that stand out to you? Um, part of the purpose of this podcast is to give amateur musicians something that they don't get if they don't go to music school, which is the opportunity to be part of a lineage, right? Like my teacher said this to me, and I will say this to my students. And in that you can kind of draw a line and I want them. Yeah, that's right. And so I kind of want to like include them as in as much of this kind of legacy insider knowledge as possible. So yeah. Are there there any things that stand out? What a great question, because I have such a hodgepodge of history (laughs) from um, cello teachers. I mean, it really runs, and music teachers as well, it runs the gamut, really. Um, You know, one of the, 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 Dr. Tuller, who I studied with at MJC, what he said something to me once that struck me as odd, which was, in a few years, you'll understand how much better of a musician I'll be, I am. And I never took, I thought that was just such a terrible thing for him to say. (laughs) <laughs> because I looked at him like as such a, you know, a God. And I still think about that from time to time. And I, I, I think he's probably laughing at that right now. Um, <laughs> I hope he is because what a, what a tremendous musician he is. And um, what just a great person. All these people that I've studied with, I think are just lovely people. Um, there was another, I mean, there was the summer that I was transitioning from Los Angeles to Chicago. I was lucky enough to spend five weeks at the Pearlman Music Program mm-hmm. on Shelter Island. And there was just, everyone was there everyone of merit you know i mean mr leonard was there julia lichten was there paul katz was there i mean of course it's our perlman was there rohan da silva who i got a good story about him and he tore me up uh <laughs> perlman's accompanist you know this guy i don't oh he's 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 a riot um uh, what a great guy um but i remember one and very important lesson i had at the perlman music program with julia lichten um just wow, I was, I walked into this room not knowing what to expect here. And her energy was just off the charts, calming and just so present. And uh, the way she addressed everything was just with so much, like, it seemed like respect and admiration. I mean, she just really was just a tremendous amount of time that I spent with her there was just I felt like a sponge. (laughs) That's not, that's not always common though, because there are a lot of prestigious teachers that I don't know whether they intend to or not, but they sort of suck all the air out of the room and make you feel fear in their presence or make Mm -hmm. you feel like a sense of pressure to perform. And I think it is really special when you get a teacher that makes you feel calm and like, we are here to do this thing together, you and I, like there's no adversarial relationship there. Yeah, I mean, if you consider the fact that I was on this island with a bunch of prodigy wunderkinds, you know, and like- <laughs> It's who, like cello who, survivor. <laughs> right, who, who's this Who's this 20-something year old cellist here like doing whatever he, I don't know what he does most of, I was swimming most of the time, but um, anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, her, her lesson, I remember walking away and she just said things like, And, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I don't have a lot of time. I'm a mother. I am a professional. And 
Um, when I have time to practice, I have to be very, very objective of how I spend my time. And, mm-hmm. um, she just kind of talked to me as if like, I belonged in this club and I don't, I, <laughs> like, I don't know. It was weird. Um, and it was funny also because I was moving to Chicago to study with Christopher Costanza and I had mentioned that to her and she's like, oh, he stays with us when he's in New York. He's a wonderful guy. You're going to do just fine with him. And I just felt so, I don't know. I, I was a little worried and I don't, you know, she just was so comforting and so, so awesome. And, you know, of course, Mr. Leonard was there and that man, he just scares me all the time. He was um, my teacher. Right. And like, you, you know, me, I'm, I'm all kinds of like weird and extroverted, but I'm also like super squishy and sensitive. And it yeah. was so scary, <laughs> even though he meant me no harm. He literally, he was just totally there to try to help me. But I was just like every lesson I would be shaking at the beginning and I would be shaking at the end. <laughs> like, I was just terrified. You know, my time with him was, uh, kind of limited i was able to sneak into a couple of the cello studio classes at usc i don't know how i got away with that but i certainly did and it was really cool um but i did play for him in a master class at ucla when the henry mancini institute was up and running nice and i i seem to recall like i think i was playing the prelude to the third cello suite and he you know he gets really nitpicky on that he gets really after one concept and he just kind of expects you to get it as easily as he does and pretty quickly. Yeah. And I was really, really stumbling over this, but I was just trying over and over and over again. I wasn't giving myself any time to let it soak in. I was just like, right. kind of, and I don't know, I, I said something really inappropriate. I, I think I cussed when I said something along the lines of, well, it's been hard or something like that. And he just kind of looked at me and chuckled a little bit and nodded his head and said, yes, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, actually that's that's really interesting that you bring that up though because i i know that some teachers listen to this and it's really interesting because sometimes a student benefits from a like i've taught lessons where i have dealt with basically a single technical issue and the student has this well of curiosity and patience and willingness to experiment over the course of 45 minutes or an hour. And it's like, it's wonderful. And they're so grateful that I stayed with that certain thing the whole time. There are other students that need to have something described to them. It needs to percolate for a while. They need to take it home where they're not feeling so much pressure. And then they'll bring it back to me the next lesson. And if I were to lean on them for all 45 minutes or an hour of our lesson, they would be reduced to rubble by the end because it doesn't, it doesn't work for them as well. And I think it's actually kind of interesting because Ron Leonard, I think was so used to working with I me. Mean, I was obviously the worst student he ever lent into his studio. And I do I, not I, say I that, that as like, <laughs> no, really, really. I was, um, I wasn't ready for the conversation because I didn't have, um, I couldn't take what was said in lessons and really apply it in my practice. I was basically like, just, I was, I was practicing tons, but if I got something right, it was by luck. Right. Or like I was watching somebody in a, you know, it was a videotape back in the nineties. Right. 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 And I was imitating what I thought I saw the, you know, but so anyway, I think it's just really interesting to consider that there's nothing wrong 
with you or your student if you need to change the pacing. Like your method isn't necessarily a problem, but your method isn't also necessarily the solution for every single student. If you can't do it the same way with every single person. Um, sometimes you have to change the game plan, you know, you really do. Yeah, and just and just also it makes you a better teacher, it makes you more inventive, and it's also fun to teach lessons that don't all feel the same. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, that's right. We're taking this from this totally different direction. That's fun. Well, I mean, I was I was thinking about these adult beginners, how you're focusing on this a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, but I feel like there's something very special about a, an adult beginner. Um, so the least that I can do is at least come up with some sort of criteria or syllabus that um, is specifically for them yeah. on an individual basis. I yeah, mean, what's your goal? Yeah. And let's go from there. I mean, I was listening to one of your previous podcasts and one of your cellists, she said, you know, you don't just jump into box prelude. And I thought, well, you can, you actually can. That's um, the single most important thing in a person's life. And they're willing to, if, if they're willing to break it down on a molecular level, I mean, it's not the worst okay, thing. I'm just looking at the Schroeder progressive etudes and it's like, well, look at all those. They're just perfect for box one. I mean, yeah, that's right. Yes. Exercise, what is it? 17 and 18 or like exact. One of them does the bow. One of them does the finger pattern. That's right. Yeah. Good it's old all, Schroeder. All right there. Yeah, right. These, who says these people didn't know what they were doing? <laughs> well, so funny story though. <laughs> I don't remember what I was reading, but um, so Again, I'm 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 one of these people who's like the um, you know how like they say that the there's no more fervent believer than somebody who was recently converted, right? Like somebody who, and so I fought the popper etudes for a long time because I just felt so confronted by most of them. And of course, once you understand that that confrontation is like the stuff of being better as a cellist there's it actually becomes almost addictive to be like well yeah i don't have to master this one but even if i play it terribly for 20 minutes i'm going to be better at the end of this session than i was at the beginning so um i think it's confession time for me regarding popper oh i think i actually have your edition your international <laughs> i've got like three of them ago. i i think i ended up with it somehow i, I apologize <laughs> use it well Use it well, brother. It's totally fine. Um, oh gosh, and now I lost I lost my train of thought, but that's fine. So maybe it's fair. Maybe if we find your San Francisco book, we can yep. arrange like a hostage exchange at some border. <laughs> no, no cops, okay? No cops. Are you a are you a narc? <laughs> um, so I'm just wondering, um, looking back to and you can talk about either lessons that you learned like uh, while you were kind of still forming as a cellist or maybe as as you're working your way into being now a teacher with, you know, God, 20 years of experience. Um, what are some of the things that you call upon from from back then when you think about like forming an interpretation of a piece or, or even like when you're just like starting, right? There's a process when you learn a piece, you don't just like dive in and hope for the best, right? Or do you, are you like chaos theory? Oh, I can't, I can't. I mean, I guess maybe when I was younger, it was chaos theory, but- um, I don't have time you know, for chaos theory anymore. No, you have to, I have to be a lot more organized now, yeah. unfortunately. But, um, you know, this is one of my last, my actual last full teacher, full-time teacher was uh, Stephen Balderston at DePaul University. And, uh, I'm glad that I get to talk about him a little bit because he's such just 
what an amazing human being and just a tremendous cellist. I really felt at home with him because, you know, he's from Santa Barbara and we're just two California kids, you know, (laughs) being, being, uh, and ironically, my very first cello teacher, Dr. Ira Lane, uh, Mr. Ballerston actually had some lessons with him as well in Santa Barbara. That's amazing. Small, small world, right? Um, Anyway, uh, Mr. Balderson talked a lot about um, music in general. Um, a lot of it was like each note has to have a head, body, and a tail, and, and yeah. all of this storytelling. And it's just his playing is just so poetic and so sincere. Um, I mean, it was almost like normally you find yourself trying to mimic your teacher, but when you realize that it's just impossible to do something like that, um, you know, you kind of have to figure out your own path. Um, but yeah, he, he talks so much about, um, architecture of music and, and where things are going. And, um, it was most, most importantly, it was about tone production with him and, and variety of, um, sound timbre or. Was he a Lynn Harrell student? Because that sounds yeah, like, 100%. I was just going to say that, that totally sounds like Lynn Harrell's teaching. It was, uh, he was, did his bachelor and master's at Juilliard with Mr. Harrell. And, uh, there you go. That makes uh, complete sense. Um, yeah. yeah, some I stories feel- I heard about that was just nuts, but, um, yeah, that was, that was the right teacher at the right time for me. Um, so I was three years with Mr. Balderston and, uh, I wish I could have had another 10. <laughs> would you, so would you tell me, um, let's just say, um, I've written a piece for you and, uh, it's, we're going to perform it together in, in six weeks. And let's just say, you know, it's not the Kodai, it's not going to tie your fingers in knots, but it's got like, you know, some challenge to it. We're going to, we're going to give it a, uh, we're going to give it a Brahms F major level of difficulty. Right. So not, not impossible, but formidable nonetheless. Um, how, how do you actually organize your practice? Like what would your first hour of practice on this look like? Um, I definitely look for a lot of black notes. Um, that's usually the the first thing that I'm going to take a look at. Um, so dexterous passages, things that yeah, are probably going to be just red flags to me yep. is what I'm looking for. And um, and it's really just I usually do this without the cello. I just kind of spend some time looking at it to figure out like how am I going to get out of this mess and how am I going <laughs> to get into it? Um, do you do fingerings away from the cello ever? I, I kind of do a little bit of both. Um, yeah, I do arm cello away from the cello sometimes just like to, to figure it out without me having to hear how out of tune I am. <laughs> well, I, it, it's different how you're, I mean, at least for me, my mind works a little bit differently away from the cello. Um, yeah. So it's helpful, I think, to kind of, I discover some things from time to time that I wouldn't, if I was just so into what I was doing on the cello, you know how you just get, you know, clammed into one position and you just like, okay, let's try to do it all here. Right. Um, but then sometimes it serves the music better to look elsewhere. Um, yeah. And let's highlight that again. He just said it serves the music. So once you're going from intermediate to advanced cellist, everything that you have to do serves the music. And that might mean that you do a fingering that is less simple because you need a certain tone color or because you, it, you need to hear a shift or you do not need to hear a shift for instance. So that's super important. Okay. So let's say you've gone through and uh, at a very slow speed, you can play through all of the, the disaster passages. 
Um, and let's say this, I'm, I'm going to like really put you on the spot here. This is a new piece, right? There's no recording of it. You and I are making our first recording of oh, this. That's scary. Right? Oh, it that's is, it is scary. Well, but I think a lot of, a lot of people sometimes lean on recordings, which of course you should, you can always listen to recordings. But um, so let's just say though, that like, when do you start thinking about interpreting? Like, let's just say all the notes are things that you can play. Wow, that is that that seems it seems like something you should do at the very onset. Um, but so start with I, that in mind. Or? No, but I, I never ah. I never get I, it, it comes much later in the process. For That's me. right. I play like an absolute dry, unbuttered piece of toast for like my first learning of a piece for I, sure. I kind of like I kind of like taking things down to the bare bones as much as I possibly can and then just trying to add more as as time evolves and um, that's that's what I can do <laughs> that day. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um so I'm just thinking about, you know, we've been talking about all the good stuff but we also like to get a little bit into things where we can really build solidarity with um with students. And I'm just thinking about like your formal education. Um, what were the things that like you really could have used a lot more of and you didn't get? Well, I mean, I felt like some people do a really good job of tearing you apart. Um, they somehow forget to put you back together. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's incredible. That, yeah, I completely agree. I'm not going to point any fingers at anyone because, you know, your path in music is how you make it, I think. And um you choose to take someone's you know advice um which is usually not my, my what i do and I, then i shoot myself in the foot later by going well what if i just would have done that five years ago um and it's funny how certain things just register at different times for like we've talked about this earlier um it's just it's funny to me but <laughs> when it yeah. clicks it clicks you know um and so thinking about that um, are you, um, as a teacher yourself, are you somebody who kind of tears apart and puts back together? Um, as a teacher? Yeah. And I guess I suppose it depends on the student, doesn't it? Because you can tell when some people are resilient and other people like cannot actually handle being taken down to the studs. Well, considering I have one private student right now, um, <laughs> and I, yeah, but you're I, busy I playing. Um, she's, she's working on the Bach and a um, couple of other smaller pieces and the Schroeder etudes. Um, right now I'm trying to just introduce geography a lot and really get that, um, built in with the idea. I was thinking about this as well today with like, you know, in Suzuki, it's like A1, A2, A3, A4, instead of B, B flat, B, yes, C natural, yes. C sharp, B, or whatever, all the other notes that are in between. Um. I like to see what, where you're comfortable with that, but it, with the, like, you have to know how to read the music at some point. And we just, we just have to get that done. With the Suzuki, so. I am literally like a World War II letter reading sensor person. I go through with a black Sharpie and I block out all of the fingerings. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm just like, no, no, I'll leave all the extensions or low or high. You can have those. But yeah, it can, because you can, you, you can always tell when a student's only reading, like doing Fingers. that yeah. because like they're playing all the right things, like one string over. I'm like, mm-hmm. You think that note sounds like it's in the middle of the yeah, staff, and, you huh? know, the, thing, the thing is like, sometimes I feel like they don't think we can tell. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's totally cool because I'm not trying to harp on it because I, you know, it's all about growing anyway, you know, but um, 
I think I said something that I was I was kind of happy with how I presented it with was, okay, well, you just have a lot of walls that you're hitting and mm -hmm. they seem to be happening all the time. Um, let's just take a few of those out. Yeah. That's okay to have them still, but you know, let's just try to have less of them. Um, oh. Um, I just remembered because I'm so I'm just going to completely like run over you. You remember how Please. you said that the Schroeder and you're like, and, and these guys actually knew what they were doing. <laughs> I don't remember where I actually heard this, but Popper was, of course, a formidable instrumentalist and composer, but he actually thought of himself more as a teacher than anything else, from what I understand. And he described his book of etudes like love letters to his students, because he's like, I want you to struggle with these things here, not when you're playing the piece. So I'm going to give you this gauntlet, this obstacle course to run through. And like some of them are actually written for specific students of his. So you know, I, I, I love that. I have, to go, I have to go on a tangent because you opened up the door. Here. I did. Well, it was my fault. Yes. Um, uh, I recently did a recital and on that recital was uh, the Casado on a company cello suite. Yes. And with that, I did that with box six. Um, <laughs> advice to cellists out there. Don't do that. that that's you know, a gnarly <laughs> concert. It was it was it was pretty brutal for me. But I liked getting into Gaspar Casado's history a lot, which I hadn't done before. And this guy is just, a, he's just a dude in Spain that probably likes to drink coffee and wine and sit at the cafe and, and write his music and enjoy good songs. I came to this conclusion based on his, you know, he was a student of Casals and yes. they had a falling out. Um, Casals kind of ruined him as a career cellist actually because Casals had left Spain and Casado just decided to stay because he's like, you know, I'm, I imagine he's like, I'm actually kind of okay with everything. I don't really want to pay attention to it. I just want to be at my cafe and do this music thing because that's fun for me. Right. Um, I came to this conclusion based on the fact that he took the Bach fourth cello suite E flat major and transcribed it to F major. <laughs> and I was like, why would you do that? And then I realized, of course, that's why you do it. It just sounds you can, better. You can have open <laughs> strings. Not yeah, everything has to be a, an extension. These, it just opens it up for a whole nother um, arena. It's on IMSLP. It's wonderful. Please check it out. It's, I'm going to uh, link to that. That's incredible because honestly, the first, the first movement of the fourth suite has had my phone number since day one. It's just like, hi, it's me. And you're still not going to get through me without a hand cramp. <laughs> like It's just so hard. It's so big. I, I, I've tried almost every, I mean, the last time I went through the fourth suite, I think the prelude, I was trying to think of myself as a bassoon player. Um, <laughs> I know, wild. that's how you know it's bad when we're like, what if we were a wind players? Yeah, because like, I've even thought of putting my thumb on the first note just so I can have my second finger on the second. I thought oh, of that's every- right, because your hands are a little bit- uh, Well, now, yeah. now they're more or less- normal we're gonna put normal in quotation marks there but there was just like because for me it just sounds like you could drive a truck through the first and the second note right and it's like <laughs> and i'm not and i'm not and i'm not willing to be like brah like like that's just not the yeah so um you know what balderstein always talked about that opening is like and it worked for me for a while and i hope i should try it again is like Ooh. trying to hear an ostinato above everything um that helps the flow a little bit uh 
Right. Cause otherwise it's tortured. Right. It, I think like a lot of people who try to play it when, and I appreciate it's labored, I think labored, right. It does yeah. sound exactly. It sounds labored. And I understand because of course, what we're trying to do when we do it labored is you're trying to make each note beautiful. You're trying to curate the note, have a beginning, a middle and an end and make it all very pleasing, but it's like, it's so hard. Um, so yeah, think about it being maybe more on a conveyor belt, right. Of time that has to continue going forward. Um, yeah, maybe I'll pick that up. I'm going to pick that up after my neck is not quite as necky as it is right now, but, um, but yeah, no, that's actually a really good, that's a really good way to think about it. Um, so I'm trying to think like you might have one student now, but you've taught lots and lots of students. Oh yeah, I've, yes. I've I mean I've I've done everything from conducting youth symphonies to coaching sections to having multiple students. It's it you know it's 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 so fun. I mean for me, it, yeah. And also I want students to hear that like people who are teaching you by and large absolutely love teaching you. So like don't apologize for showing up in whatever form you show up because it's so exciting to help somebody else on their way. Um, I'm just trying to think like, you know, what are some of the common stumbling blocks that you kind of notice with your students, like things that either you wish they would stop investing in. Like for me, I always wish students would stop apologizing because there's nothing ah. to be sorry for unless you're late <laughs> or you flake. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, or like, are there things that, um, you wish that they would take more seriously? I remember Balderson had a, a Beethoven bobblehead doll that he, uh, or a statuette or whatever you want to call those things. And, and he used to like poke it outside the hallway of his studio and say like, no apologies. <laughs> <laughs> so don't be sorry for what you have done. Right. <laughs> it's just music guys. Like, don't be sorry for that F sharp. Don't miss it again. Well, I mean, he was also, he did some really <laughs> wild things. Like uh, he was into technology a lot. And so what he would do is record us and take us down an octave Ooh. so we could really hear what was going on intonation wise. Ooh. And that was, that was just brutal. And then the analyzation of your vibrato and all this. I mean, it was, it was really eye opening. but I'm not answering your question. <laughs> yeah, still, this is meant to be a conversation. So I don't think anybody minds our detours, but yeah. What are, what are some of the things that like you see them? Yeah. What are some things that you, you wish that they would either do more of or do less of? Well, I mean, I think that everybody kind of looks at the cello as if it's um, some sort of fragile um, thing and, you know, easily destructible or something like that. And, you know, as far as airline travel is concerned, yes, it is. Um, but as far as playing it, no, it is not. Um, I mean, Mr. Harrell used to share with uh, Steve Butterson about uh, sometimes the cello is a drum and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, you shouldn't be scared of it. You know, the, the cello likes to have a nice little, um, it likes to be, um, it likes to be played. There's a, know? there's a kinetic aspect to it. There's a very physical aspect to it. In fact, I have to say one of my proudest moments was, um, I broke a C string with the ferrule of my frog. Like I came down and I was just too close to the frog. I thought it was because of like the mighty power of my stroke, but actually in the recording, you could actually see that it was the metal that broke, but I was like, yes, I have finally yeah, let's, beaten let's the cello. To the, first, the, the first version. I like that. One I know better. exactly. I was, I, I owned that C string super hard. Of course, why does every cellist actually wince? Because now that would be like, that will be $280. <laughs> right, right. And it's totally worth it, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just to have, at least it was, it only happened once. Yeah, once is fine. Any more than that, we right. just got to stop. Yeah. Um, 
or definitely take your cello into a shop to have somebody look at it. That's right. Why am I doing this? (laughs) That's not good. Um, yeah, I mean, there was, there was one, you were talking about things that get you down or whatever. Uh, there was one lesson, uh, I remember I was working on Haydn D and, you know, that is just a beast. Um, so hard. It really isn't. It's just such a fun piece though. And you're like all this jovial behavior in it. And it's just a nightmare in the practice room. Um, because it has, it, it, it can't be jovial. Like the C major is where the C major can be kind of body and drunken. It has to be totally refined as well. Yeah. 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 It's gotta be perfect at all. At every way. Anyway, I, I kind of, I remember I had a weird week where I was doing a lot of gigs and I just didn't have a lot of time to practice for my lessons, which I was really embarrassed about. Anyway, I walked in and, um, I played probably about 10 minutes and I've never seen Mr. Balderson upset and let alone this upset um, where he just looked at me and he was like, how much did you practice for this lesson? And I had to be honest because, you know, he could tell. I, <laughs> I, was yeah. like, I, I honestly uh, just didn't have a lot of time to prepare to speak. And he gave me uh, a pretty stern um talking to about being the difference between being a gigging cellist and being an artist and what we're trying to accomplish in the studio and so forth. And well, I walked out of that uh, one hour lesson in about 15 minutes. Um, So I went to my apartment across the street, um, which I had to walk through one of my roommate's rooms to get to the room. And he's like, aren't you supposed to be in a cello lesson right now? (laughs) I don't want, I, I practice, I swore to practice 12 hours a day until my next lesson. And I did exactly that. By the way, don't try that at home. It seems, yeah, like a recipe for a visit with an orthopedist. Well, I mean, it just, I felt like I was um, walking on eggshells there. So it was time to really up my game, I I guess, as as to say. Um, So, yeah, I did that. And it it was totally counterproductive. um, But the end result was I walked into my lesson the next week and he was like, okay, now we're ready to get into this. You know, I was like, he asked about the 12 hours a day thing. And I said, yeah, it really, that was uh, excessive and probably not a good idea. Um, Cause you know, after three or four hours and all the other things you're trying to do in a day, uh, you're pretty fried. Um. <laughs> it is. But I, I think that part of you was trying to serve penance. Yeah, that was definitely a timeout for me. Um, so there was no going out with friends, no socializing that week. It was just all, um, let's, let's lock ourselves into this room and get this done. Um, <laughs> so aside, uh, aside from not practicing 12 hours a day, no matter the tongue lashing you may receive from a well-intentioned teacher, what advice would you give to adult students who are, they want to get good. They want to make music a meaningful part of their life, but they are at a phase where they feel overwhelmed by the task. And honestly, before you even answer, I feel like you're probably seeing things clearly if you are a little overwhelmed by the task. It doesn't help, but at the same time, there really is a lot going on. It does ask a lot of you. Uh, So it's okay to acknowledge that. But what would you, what advice would you offer specifically to adults who are just like feeling on the back foot? You know, the one thing I really believe in positive reinforcement and uh, it's like how Bob Ross does everything on his show. (laughs) When a mistake happens, it just turns into something beautiful, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'd really like to get on here is notice your progress. Um, And there's a real easy way of doing that. Um, I believe it was Bonnie Hampton that 
did this with one of her one of her students, and she said, uh, "Okay, so you're holding the cello, you know, your bow is in the right hand, and your left hand is fingering the, the notes. Now switch the roles." <laughs> okay, so that's what it was like when you started. Um, so look at how much you've gone, you know, how much progress you've made. Um, also, so and I think I think it's really important to do that, not even just for like the squishy, like feel good, positive reinforcement thing, which is good, but also it's it also lets you know, like, huh, there's these other things that are persisting. And so I can actually, I don't need to freak out about these other things. I can focus just a little bit more on these other things that are flagging behind and bring them up to the level of the other things as well. I mean, also, especially with adult beginners, I think it is when you have, you know, your fixed schedule, whether you have a family or not, you have lots of other activities that are going on throughout the day. And, you know, you can look at the cello and say, like, I really should do that. But you shouldn't go in with that, like, I have to get this done right now. You should probably wait until you're ready to spend that time and like excited of, and like, like, forgive me for saying stoked, you know? Yes. You no, it. stoked is what, what you absolutely should be. Yeah. Because there are a lot of serious things in the world, right? Like waiting around for a president to do executive action on climate change. There's people getting sick. There's money troubles. There's all these things and music and I'm saying this as somebody for whom music has presented a number of confounding challenges in my life. And, um, and I've had lots of like injuries that have really been pretty desperately trying to get me to not be a cellist anymore. It is like the single point of light in my life that I don't know if I would actually feel it that way if it hadn't if it hadn't been almost taken away from me so many times and you shouldn't need to have something like a terrible spine <laughs> in order for you to feel like it is the luckiest thing to have 20 minutes to just see if you can play a scale like with a particular goal in mind or to play a long tone or to, to work literally on go tell aunt Rody. Like I love is, that song. I am never sick of go tell aunt Rody. I'm a little bit like may time. I'm kind of over, but go tell aunt Rody. I am here for it. <laughs> I always like to joke, like, what do you got to tell aunt Rody? I mean, yeah, what, what <laughs> are we telling her? What kind of news are we bringing her? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we got to have a head, body and tail here. <laughs> <laughs> what is aunt Rody's arc? um do you know what now funny story you know the piece I was hypothetically saying that I wrote for you and that we're going to make a recording it's actually going to be called we told Aunt Rhodey and it is the epilogue to the Rhodey I'm I'm, I'm so into it to the Rhodey saga the Rhodey saga yeah well let's make it a trilogy and you know (laughs) yeah we'll do a prequel before we met Rhodey oh my god I have to say um it's very inside baseball uncle, uncle who I don't know I know. Gosh, it's Rhodey's baby daddy. This is, we now we're like way off piste and I only have myself to blame. It is my fault. It is my (laughs) fault. Um, Yeah, I I was the fire, but you did put a little bit of gasoline on it. Neither of us are innocent here in this Rhodey. One one, one more piece of advice, you know, for the uh, the adult beginners. Um, The most important thing you can do is find people that are into the things that you're trying to do. That that's you know there's Community. a club for basically everything and it's really worth its balance. I mean, if you have like a friend that's a violinist or God forbid a violist, um, 
I could, that was a cheap shot. I love viola players. I, I was going to say, God forbid, it. another cellist. Like, we're uh, the yeah, worst. Yeah, <laughs> the opportunity doesn't present itself. Obviously, another cellist, you know. But, I mean, it's a great place to bounce ideas off. Go to other concerts with, you know. Um, just, um, you know, support each other. And, um, you know, say, oh, my teacher said this this week. And I thought it was stupid. Or, you know, share that stuff. You know, talk about it. Yeah, because yeah, people like you made me get through music school, right? Like I had my people and we were all kind of enduring the same trials, right? We were in the same orchestra. We taught, we took from a lot of the same teachers and we could kind of debrief with each other afterward and we could learn from each other. But also you can see that other people are struggling too. And it makes you feel so much better about where you are. Whereas if you don't have any, any, reference point for where you are on the spectrum of skill and learning you can just be so isolated you know it 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 shocks me like how much I remember of your cello playing from that long ago that's how much I looked up to you um, (laughs) like you know your interesting fingering solutions to um difficult passage work and you know standard repertoire was just I thought paramount I was like wow she's really thinking outside the box here and (laughs) I'm doing the international edition fingerings and I don't know where she's like, it was just mind blowing stuff you were doing. Um, uh, even the very... way to tune the cello, do you talk to your <laughs> students about how you used to do that? Um, I, I do. If we are in a situation where we're tuning with a piano, um, um, I will frequently play a whole bunch of different chords and just be like, do you hear how the A just sounds like, sometimes it sounds like really spicy in this one chord. And then it sounds kind of like sagging in this other chord. Yeah. So what right. he's making reference to is I like to tune to a G major chord so that the A is the ninth of the chord. Not only is that like a very jazz sensibility, but for whatever reason, it helps me tune my A and my D so much more accurately. It's just me acknowledging that I have something funny in my ear that when I hear a D minor chord, which is very frequently what we, what we tune to my ear gets thrown by that F and I am very tempted to change the distance of the A inappropriately just because my ear loves hearing things flat. Um, So I just started finding ones where like, where does this, where does the A match so that when I go into the orchestra, I'm not trying to like, I don't feel like I'm playing, having to play sharp all the time to be in tune with everybody else. You just have to, you have to like acknowledge what your, what your frailties are and then be curious about coming up with solutions for them. And yeah, and my fingerings were sometimes Byzantine um, partially because I had like injuries and, and stuff like that, but also just every now and again, the international fingering is written by somebody whose hand is much bigger than mine, right? Like all this, all the Rostropovich editions, I'm like, nice try, Slava, but right. I'm not that big. <laughs> like you're just showing off. Thank you. I am totally aware that you were a giant and also probably a robot. So <laughs> true. <laughs> so um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's that's what it's all about for me is just being around um, people that inspire you and make you think a little bit differently and encourage you, you know, like that's that's at at whatever level you're at. I think that's where the kind of people you should be around. Yeah, that's fun. Absolutely. So I think actually this is probably a good time to do a shameless plug 
for Tamarack Arts, because that's what we're trying to create, right? It's just like a place where people can be not alone, but also be taken seriously and compassionately. We might break you down a little tiny bit, but it's more like tugging on a sweater rather than putting you into a blender. Um, but we promise to knit you back together <laughs> again. We've got a program coming up August 11th through 14th, if you're listening to this in 2022. Um, and we're going to have lots more programming. And I've also roped Eric into doing, um, some co-teaching with me. That date is TBD, but, um, it's going to be good. And you can just tell that he's a compassionate, interesting, um, curious person. And I think it's going to be fantastic. So when that, um, when that gets cooking, uh, you guys will be the first to know. This is so exciting, Emily. All right. Well, it was great talking to you. And um, we're going to put a couple links in the show notes um, to, to Balderston, to uh, Casado, so people can listen to that, and, um, and to the IMSLP version of the fourth suite in very subversive F major. So thank you. It was great. Thank you, Emily.